You hear from patients all the time how quality of life is so important with these new novel therapies and their preference to be able to go home and spend time with their family members and their loved ones instead of sitting in a hospital for, you know, two, three weeks, whatever that looks like when their time in this world is so possibly limited. Hi, I'm Marianne Bohr with Hims. Today I'm joined by Mohamed Datu, Senior Director, Global Commercial Data Sciences and Digital Health at Johnson & Johnson Innovative Medicine, and Vijesh Unikrishnan, Partner, Digital Connected Health at ZS. And today we'll be talking about drug plus solutions, such as remote patient monitoring, and how they can enable both improved patient outcomes and provider satisfaction. Before we get started, I want to say thank you to ZS and to Janssen, now Johnson & Johnson Innovative Medicine, for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, Mohammed Vijesh, thanks so much for joining us today. Now, Mohammed, let's start with you. You know, even with pharmaceutical innovation that's addressing some of the most complex and life-threatening cancers like myelomas, there are still unmet needs. How can remote patient monitoring or RPM effectively address these gaps by creating what we call a drug plus care model solution. Yeah, so thank you, Marianne. I think we need to look at it from a couple different points of view. Um, so starting off with hospitals or health systems, you know, these organizations are really constrained when it comes to resources, whether it's hospital beds, whether it's staff, whether it's, you know, financial constraints. And RPM has a really big opportunity to help free up a lot of those constraints in those health systems. If you look at it from a patient point of view, right, you hear from patients all the time how quality of life is so important with these new novel therapies and their preference to be able to go home and spend time with their family members and their loved ones instead of sitting in a hospital for, you know, two, three weeks, whatever that looks like when their time in this world is so possibly limited. So you're creating convenience for these patients. You're, you're also having a, a whole slew of patients who are sitting in line waiting to be treated with these therapies who are unable to because there's just not enough capacity in these hospital beds. So being able to free up these hospital beds allows more patients to get access to these medications that could potentially save their lives. From a physician point of view, the decrease in, in just burden for having to treat these patients within the hospital, their opportunity to increase quality of care is really, really important to them. And then from a payer perspective, costs, you know, I don't think we put enough emphasis on, on how an RPM solution can really decrease costs for the overall treatment paradigm for some of these patients in health systems and hospitals. That's such an excellent point, especially I like, I like you touching on how time is really at a premium for a lot of these folks. Now, Vijesh, what do you think is the economic model needed to help scale these drug plus care models across care sites? And can you maybe name an example of another therapy area that has done the drug plus care model successfully? Yeah, no, I, it's a it's a it's a great question, and it's the the reality of our healthcare system is we have increased demand on it and increased financial constraints. Right, the U.S. healthcare system cannot keep absorbing increased costs, even though we want to support innovation in not just the uh, therapeutic but also in the care models that support the therapeutic. So the economic considerations are important. It's a reality we have to deal with. So when we look at the economic um, model around what it takes to to fund and financially make these companion care models viable, there's a few different uh, pathways. Most companies and most of us who are steeply working in this industry are familiar with the remote patient monitoring and remote therapy monitoring codes that have been established, that have coverage from Medicare, 
but it's necessary, but it's not sufficient. While Medicare covers a fair number of our U.S. population, commercial payers are just as important, uh, particularly in oncology, which do affect a fair number of younger and non-Medicare patients. But there's promising signals there. So recent, uh, recent studies have shown something that AMA did just very recently and published that out of the top 17 commercial payers in the United States, close to about 12 or 13 of them have established policies to make sure that they are able to pay and cover remote patient monitoring because they do believe in some of the benefits that Muhammad was just sharing here in terms of patient benefits and physician benefits around direct cost savings, indirect cost savings, and can be attributed to such care models. One good example, I'd say, or one probably one of the largest successful examples in funding and, and, and enabling these companion care models to scale across the industry has been in diabetes. Diabetes to date um, has reimbursement associated with insulin management using remote patient monitoring. It's well established. It has support both from providers and patients who are able to now afford to provide these insulin management services and payers are very willing to, to fund it because it is a critical part of patients improving outcomes and staying within optimal disease control range. Connected inhalers is another emerging drug plus uh, solution where companion care model that goes along with inhalers due to the remote patient monitoring connectivity to ensure patients are able to adhere to therapy and are able to optimize therapy usage over time. But I do believe that there's a new and emerging potential economic model, particularly when it comes to manufacturers who are involved in these companion care models. One of the very well-known examples uh, of manufacturers uh, being able to subsidize and being able to support these companion care models to provide you know, patients better experience and better outcomes is through the manufacturer-funded patient services programs, uh, particularly in very intensive therapeutic areas like CAR-T, cell therapy. It has been well established that there's a fair amount of support that's required in order for the patient to have a better quality of life and, in fact, for the therapeutic uh, product to even have better outcomes. So we do believe that there is the economic infrastructure to support remote patient monitoring is, is healthy and is looking in a, in a very positive direction, either funded directly by payers or manufacturers such as pharmaceuticals being able to also step in and, and provide the economic arrangements as needed. Absolutely. I think definitely the uh, example of the uh, insulin control is an excellent one. Now, um, Mohammed, that being said, what do you feel are some of the barriers to using remote patient monitoring in the drug plus care model? Yeah. And I wanted to just maybe touch base um, and address quickly what Jess had just mentioned around the, the economic models. If you if you look at the world of remote patient monitoring, right, It, it if you look at the more mature areas where it's really utilized for chronic care management, such as diabetes and more chronic diseases, the reimbursement associated with that is more tailored to those type of disease states and the type of monitoring needed for those particular disease states. But where you th- where you see where a lot of the need is, is around now you get to more of this acute type of remote patient monitoring, almost to the degree of where hospital at home is, where you have adverse events, which are more life-threatening, which are more acute in nature, that are some of the reasons why the patients are spending time in the hospital rather than being discharged in their houses. And then you look at the requirements to be able to monitor those patients, right? It usually entails a wearable device 
It usually entails some sort of wraparound services provided by the remote patient monitoring companies or the hospital system to actually monitor these patients continuously, right? Being able to like see what's happening with them. And if something like a, a, a vital sign goes askew somewhere, you know, being able to action on those metrics and being able to intervene and action those patients to the next appropriate next step so that they don't go into a more severe adverse event and possibly, you know, something more life-threatening. And the cost associated with those types of monitoring is a lot higher. And the reimbursement right now associated with that just doesn't cover the cost um, to be able to do so. So you're left with health systems and hospitals who essentially need to cover the cost for that additional monitoring for those acute type of adverse event monitoring. So the big barrier I see, I see right now for adoption is really around who's paying for these services? How are they being paid for? And reimburse the companies, insurance companies right now aren't reimbursing enough to be able to offset the costs. So health systems now have to look into other ways on how remote patient monitoring for these more acute type of disease states and adverse events can make sense in their practices. If you look at just physicians right now, um, I do think there's a lack of education on just what is the world of remote patient monitoring. Again, I think when people think of remote patient monitoring, their head immediately goes to what's currently vetted and utilized right now in the market, and that is for those chronic conditions. Usually it's some sort of app where patients can submit pros that physicians get information on, right? But when you think about these acute adverse events, mm -hmm. physicians immediately think, well, you know, how do I monitor for something like CRS? How do I monitor for something like eye cancer infections? What are the devices out there that are currently available? Are they FDA approved? Who's going to cover the cost of these types of services? Who's liable if I send this patient home and something does happen, right? So I think there's a lot of education that needs to be done with these offices to help them get through some of these questions that they have that maybe have not been fully addressed. You look at it from a patient perspective, right? We talked about the quality of life implications to remote patient monitoring and how it can increase quality of life. But, you know, you have patients, um, you know, so let's talk about multiple myeloma for a second, right? A lot of these patients are elderly you know, maybe they're not as tech savvy, right? So if you think about a remote patient monitoring app where they need to sign in, fill in information, as well as a wearable device that they have to put in a certain location, they need to charge, they need to connect to the internet. All of those things are complicated, right? And when you think about some of these patients and their experience with some of this technology, they get a little nervous. Also, you know, again, for some of these acute types of uh, adverse events that are being monitored, these patients need to have a certain level of proximity to a hospital, right? If there is something that, you know, they need to action on and they need to go seek care at a hospital, they need to be in close proximity or they need to have a mechanism to get to the hospital in time so that they can be actioned on. Socioeconomic status is a big one, right? These devices require connections. They require smartphones. Not everybody can afford that. Not everybody could afford a, a, a robust data plan to be able to transmit all of this data that's going into these platforms. And then also adherence at the end of the day, right? The devices, uh, the devices and the solutions are only good if a patient is actually utilizing it. So, you know, once you send a patient home, it's in their hands to be able to make sure that they're actually using the device. They're putting it on to their body in the right place and they're charging it at the appropriate times. And, you know, they have enough internet bandwidth to be able to transmit all this data. So there's a lot of education there too, and ensuring that, you know, the, the right patients are being selected, that they're being properly onboarded, that being they're properly educated, and that there's support available for them 
that if they do have any questions or concerns, they can be easily and quickly addressed. I definitely can understand those points, especially talking about something that's uh, got, you know, uh, adverse events that could possibly happen, like uh, like hard tea therapy. And certainly there's a lot of, uh, seems like a lot of education, a lot of infrastructure you'd need to get that into place. So uh, that that being said, Vijesh, what do you think a successful future for these drug plus care models would look like? My personal belief and and what we see in the industry as early trends is that the drug uh, alone, I mean, of, of course, in, in, in conditions like oncology, the drug plays a significant role in terms of progression-free survival and, and overall survival rates of, of patients who are suffering from very life-threatening conditions. However, if I have a crystal ball and look into it, I would expect that the manufacturer thinks beyond the drug beyond the drug in terms of what is the care pathway or the care model within which that drug is being administered? What is the patient care model when the patient is not in, a, in an acute care setting, when they're away at home and, and how the drug performs in, that, in those conditions? What is the social determinants of health that the patient's you know, functional day-to-day life is materializing in and how would the, that impact or affect the overall outcomes of how that drug performs? So in many ways, we believe that these unmet needs are almost something that should become part of the product specifications, should be part of the performance requirement of a drug well early into its development cycle. So if I had to have a crystal ball, this is what I would say the, the world looks like. These requirements that what we're calling companion care models or drug plus requirements are defined and understood well early into the drug development cycle, perhaps at phase two and right around the stage when the drug is moving from phase two to phase three in terms of its development program. There's very deliberate evidence gathering approaches towards understanding all these many variables that Mohammed just talked about right now that can affect the performance of the drug and that affect the, the design of the care model that goes around the drug. Many, many of these factors that Mohammed talked about and these are not factors that can be just left to its whims and, and, and let it play out in the real world. There's evidence that can be generated around what happens if a patient does not have access to um, um, you know, high, high band, bandwidth internet. Is the care model resilient enough or is a remote patient monitoring solution forgiving enough to collect just enough amount of data with the bandwidth that's available, but still provide the, the overall side effect management or infection control management performance characteristics that is required to be achieved. So that's the type of evidence that can be generated. And then what do you do with the evidence? There's a clear pathway, a regulatory pathway for these companion care models. Drug development is a very, very high risk and, and, and long process, as we all appreciate. It can take anywhere from 10 years and a billion dollars in investment. So how do you ensure that the risk associated with getting these products through regulatory clearance and, and launched into the market and make it available to the clinical community and patients is not compromised because a pharmaceutical manufacturer decides to look into these other performance characteristics that the drug needs to achieve around the companion care model and, and decides to study those. So regulatory pathways that can approve the drug but can provide a, a more flexible and seamless approach towards approving the additional elements of the care pathway that could be designed around the drug to provide the medical community and the clinical community that, yes, this care pathway that goes with the drug has been well studied and has cleared the high bar of what is required from a regulatory standpoint. So having clear regulatory guidance. And then it's, it's, these are not one, once and done. Care pathways are 
heterogeneous. And while there might be two or three care pathways that can be designed and studied and launched with a drug, um, as the drug continues to live in the in the real world, new evidence is generated, and there has to be an effective life cycle management process around continuing to learn from the market and continue to create more subsegments and more nuanced care models that support different patient characteristics and segments in the market. And then finally, one manufacturer is not going to be able to carry these care models all the way into the last mile, into the day-to-day clinical practice of practicing medicine for the physicians, as well as consuming care by the patient. So there has to be a way to, um, there will be a way to deploy these care models within platforms that maybe it's two or three platforms across the across the industry that can very easily carry these care models and deploy them in the real world. So that that would be a few of my crystal ball uh, predictions of of what the world should look like in the next five years, so that we we can truly realize a drug plus future that benefits patients and and physicians. Great, I can see it definitely will take a lot of collaboration and a lot of uh, a lot definitely a lot of education infrastructure being built up. Now, uh, Mohammed, one last question: What advice do you have? For other pharma leaders who are developing and launching drug plus care models, I think everyone sees the value of these drug plus care models, um, and more specifically, enrolled patient monitoring. I don't think anyone's arguing the fact that this is the future, and quite possibly in some near future time of ours, it will be a standard of care. And I think you know when we look at where the majority of the work is currently being done, it's it's really around research and development, clinical trials, and embedding these solutions to see, can it work, right? And I think when you look at it from an R&D clinical trial standpoint, it's a very controlled environment um, and really doesn't take into account of all of the factors for adoption and usage in the real world. So I think there's an opportunity for us to really look forward and say, okay, what is the evidence needed? What is the data needed? What is the support system needed for adoption in the community practices and in the academic practices, right? I mean, I think when you look at these remote patient monitoring tools, you know, your your larger academic centers are really the the first movers here, right? In adopting these, they start with, you know, clinical trials and then they eventually move them on to their more real world settings. But if you think about where the majority of patients currently sit within our healthcare system, you know, oncology as an example, majority of these patients are sitting in community practices, right? And that's where really the need is. These patients don't have access to academic centers um, who have, um, you know, all this tried and true technology and use cases available to them. And we as pharma companies need to start thinking about how do we support from an evidence standpoint from a resource standpoint, from an education standpoint, for those practices that are in dire need for solutions like this and whose patients can benefit the most from this. And, you know, if I if I had a message out to those pharma leaders, it's really how do we come together and say, what can we do to ensure that not only are these solutions available for these practices that are in dire need for them, but how can we support from A to Z, whether it's from evidence generation all the way down to helping them with education, implementation? Is there a possibility to tie these into our patient support programs to you know, really create a whole entire ecosystem where 
the patient prescriber and these solutions are connected from A to Z. There's a tremendous amount of opportunity here. And I still think it's untapped. And I think we as pharmaceutical organizations need to start looking at it from an end-to-end point of view rather than just early drug development. Absolutely. Well, Mohammed Vijesh, thank you both so much for joining us today and for sharing your insights. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Marianne. And of course, special thanks to ZS and Janssen, now Johnson & Johnson Innovative Medicine, for sponsoring this podcast. Have a fantastic rest of your day.